As two middle-aged dads who run a fish podcast, Dave and myself are both well-bearded men. And because of that, we're constantly on the lookout for great products to groom and trim our beards. And that's why we are so thankful in this trying time for a company like Harry's. Harry's knows that now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. Harry's knows that sometimes it's better to stay inside. That's why they ship razors and gel and product directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience of your own home. So we encourage all of our listeners to join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your special trier offer by going to harrys.com slash BTP. That's harrys.com slash BTP. So Harry's has really returned to the essential. You get quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 per blade. They cut out the middleman, they manufacture their blades in their German blade factory that's been owning precision blades for a century, which means you get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. It's super convenient because the blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription and you can feel really good about your purchase because they have a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund and 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations that are devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. And I'll just say that um, my beard's gotten a bit unruly in quarantine, but no matter what, I refuse to have a neck beard. I'm not that lazy. <laughs> I cannot do my neck beard. I gotta have lines. I use Harry's to keep those lines intact. The rest of it gets kind of bushy, but there's gonna be uh, there's a line where the pair will not go, and that's what I'm using Harry's for. Absolutely. So listeners of Beyond the Pond can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com/btp. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip. Five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. It's a fantastic deal from a fantastic company that can help us out in these difficult times. So go to harrys.com slash BTP to start shaving better today. Before we go beyond the pond, we want to tell you about a fantastic podcast within Osiris Media, The Drop. Think of The Drop as your check-in, tell-all of what is happening in the world of Osiris. Osiris Media's CEO, RJB, checks in weekly and right now daily to tell us about everything that's happening both within the world of Osiris, great podcast episodes, big interviews coming up, big episodes uh, different podcasts have rolling out, as well as live streams, both those hosted by Osiris Media, as well as those in the larger music sphere. Usually about a uh, five to ten minute podcast that gives you the opportunity to check in, 
get a sense of what's happening in the larger world of music at that time. It's very useful because there's a lot of information out there, especially when you're stuck inside all day. You kind of need like a one-stop shop to know exactly what to look for because now everyone's doing a live stream. Everyone's playing acoustic guitar on Instagram Live. There's a whole lot of things to check out. So really the drop just kind of puts like five important things in one place. I think it's an invaluable resource. Absolutely. So check out the drop daily and the drop weekly when that comes back with larger interviews and themes of what's happening within Osiris Media. And now, let's get to the show. The global health crisis we're facing right now has threatened the livelihood and mental health of countless musicians. Backline is the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub, and their work is more vital than ever. Launched in 2019, Backline aims to give artists, crew, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline is currently hosting virtual support groups, as well as yoga, meditation, and breathwork sessions. Osiris is proud to partner with Backline. To donate, learn more, or to get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. Again, that's backline.care. David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 95 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself generally use the music of Fish as a means of introducing the listener to other bands. These are usually not jam bands. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans. Sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they get a bit myopic They only tend to listen to their favorite band, and especially when they're inside with no other place to go, we're trying to expand their mind, getting to listen to something else. However, this pond is big, this pond is wide. Anyone who's looking to uh, expand their fish knowledge and be turned on to some new music is very welcome. Absolutely. And especially now when everyone is stuck inside, trying to figure out what normal is if we're ever going to be able to see live music again, if so, when we are here to chat about fish, bring you guys some very choice jams and Mm. spin these off into a variety of themes where we get to talk about some other music that we're listening to, that we're discovering that have bounced around our brains for decades, perhaps, or even weeks. We want to just talk about, the music of fish and how it correlates to a lot of other music that we love to listen to. And today's episode is very special. We are talking about a jam 
from my first fish show on February 20th, 2003. That's right. The Gata Jabu to end set one of that show. Some of the themes that we're going to explore in this episode include the greatest dance party you ever had, Chicago Blues, and the best of Fish 2.0. On that note, let's get to the fish. Ninety-five episodes in, I've got a pretty good memory about what we've talked about, what we've covered on this podcast. I am pretty certain that we have not covered a Gata Jabu before. Definitely have not. Yeah. No. And when we go through like the best versions, you'll kind of understand why. There's a lot of really good Jabus. There's not a lot of like tier one holy shit Jabus. But when that song goes into that tier one, holy shit, what just happened? It's great. And this version that we're talking about from February 20th, 2003 is the first Gottage Boo of 2.0. And hose is the keyword here. The band connects within what's essentially a type 1.5 jam that moves through multiple sections, peaking before moving into one of the most infectious dance heavy jams in all of 2.0 now whereas most 2.0 jams descended into swirls of noise and space you can see the uh, simple and the tweezer on either side of it this one stays high throughout it jams with precision and energy it's more akin to a 1998 or a fall 2013 jam than this like 2003 deep dive yeah, simply put, the only proper way to describe this Jaboo is delirious. It keeps going and going. It gets harder and harder. I mean, there's at least six or seven times you feel like Trey can return to the chorus, but he doesn't. I, mean, I don't know where these energy levels came from on this night, not too far away from O'Hare Airport, but uh, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, to your point, connectivity is the key here. Trey offers really clear, colorful lines which build the jam up and proves how on point he could be in February 2003. There's a perception I was afflicted by this for a while that winter 2003 is really sloppy. And there's a bit of slop here and there. There's a bit of dirge here and there. Um, But... Trey was such a good guitarist during this tour and he was had so much energy and was so into playing with fish again. And it comes out in jams like this. Um, once you get on the other side of this, like building peaking jam that we absolutely love pages, clav comes out and the rhythm section takes over. And it's this call back to 1997, the kind of which was very rare following 1998. So, As I mentioned at the top, this was my first fish show. 
And uh, to one of our themes here, something that we'll cover in section one of uh, uh, the overall musical segment, um, aside from July 21st, 2001's Burlap Sack and Pumps, my first Trey show, and June 6th, 2002, The Money Lemon Change, my second Trey show, I had never danced harder in my entire life than I did to this Jabu. Following this very dimly lit set one, this was a moment of connectivity and celebration that I dreamed of for basically three years of buildup as a fish fan. Yeah, I'm kind of envious. I think the closest I've come to experiencing a crazy dance fever dream that early in my showgoing career might have been uh, the December 2nd, 1995 tweezer, which wasn't so much dancing as kind of like running on a treadmill, the same type <laughs> of uh, same type of visceral thrill for sure. There was a lot of jumping, if I recall correctly. It was just like this yeah. like ecstatic moment of, you know, like you, you, you're hearing all these fish jams on tape where like everything peaks and the crowd goes crazy. But to like actually be in the room and see it was such a revelation, such an incredible moment. Um, as we were talking about here, you know, Gottage Boo doesn't have like a ton of top tier holy shit versions. But we went through and compiled what I think is a pretty solid list of uh, some fantastic versions of God of Jibu that have been played over the years. Um, starting with December 10th, 1999, a very clean, slow build Jibu. Uh, 2000s got uh, a couple different versions, specifically um, July 4th, 2000 from Camden, New Jersey. Which is a near 30-minute wild and locked-in summer 2000 jam. It's probably the best ever Gadajibu that then segues into Saw It Again. That was a live bait release. I forget what volume. That was uh, yes. certainly on a bait. <laughs> yeah, that was on a live bait. And then I feel like two or three live baits later, they released the twist into Slave to the Traffic. Like They basically released that entire set. Yeah, yeah. And I think that they should just release the whole show. I mean, I'm a proponent of them releasing a box set of June 28th, 2000 through 7-4-2000. Just an amazing run of shows there. But, uh, you know, a man can dream, right? Oh, that would be, it's like, that was Jersey, then Hartford, then Philly. Jersey, what? Hartford, Camden. Oh, yeah, okay. Camden, Philly, same thing. Yeah, Home Dell was the, were the 28th and 29th. Right, with the Turbo Gin. Yes, yes. Um, Born to Run? Born to Run. Uh, oh, no, no. That was no. 99. Oh, uh, right, right. 629 is the Drowned into Rock and Roll. Rock and Roll. Right, right. right. Um, we, we, we should team up with maybe like HF Pod at some point and do a deep dive of those six shows. We've always talked about how much we love them, and I would love to do a huge feature on those. They're so good. Um, rounding out to uh, 1.0, though, with Jaboos. Uh, 922,000 has a perfect peak and is a near-perfect live version. Dave, what do we got for uh, 2.0 Jaboos that we recommend aside from this one? Um, April 16th of 2004 from Vegas. Your mileage may vary on the Vegas shows, but this was uh, sloppy, although uh, definitely had a bit of uh, sloppy, a little bit of clear-mindedness at the same time. Certainly had a peak. Also in 2.0, the Coventry... August 14th, 2004, 
It's got a brilliant jam, Walls of the Cabins, Runaway Jim, Into Jabu, which uh, the latter builds on the previous two songs and spills over into some interesting bliss. Now we're all the way up to Fish 3.0, which hasn't seen that many interesting versions of Jabu. We've got July 4th of 2010, 10 years after the Canon Jabu, as it turns out. as a very good Type 1 version, peaking jam to close out the first set. And then, um, most recently, July 31st, 2017, uh, that was New Year's. That was the pirate ship, right? Yeah, December 31st, 2017. Uh, This is your first Type 2 Gatajabu since the Camden July 4th show. Right, very good. Yeah, very, very good stuff. So there's, you know, uh, seven versions aside from uh, the Rosemont here one, the Chicago Jabu, if you will, that uh, we would recommend you guys check out just to kind of see the diversity of the overall song. Um, I will say Jabu is one of those songs that, like, even if it's just good, it's kind of a great celebratory moment. So um, we definitely feel that here. Transitioning, though, talking a little bit about the show itself, 2-20-2003. This is a fascinating, fascinating show for a number of reasons. Um, from a contextual standpoint, it's really important to note that this show was roundly dismissed at the time and really hated as 2.0 went on. As was it? Came it? To, yeah. It really? was hated. Yeah, right. I remember talking about this show uh, in forums and with other fans and them telling me that they felt bad for me that this was the first Fish show I ever saw. Mm. Because this show kind of came to represent what so many fans didn't like about Fish during this era. It's very dark, can be sloppy at times, it's filled with jams and weirdly placed songs, and the band says absolutely nothing throughout the entire show. There's not, like, finishing up Tweez reprise even and saying, all right, thanks, guys, we'll see you again next time. Like, nothing is said whatsoever. But at least it didn't have B.B. King. That's a very good point. What was that, like four or five days later? Four uh, days later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, for me, the thing that was interesting was, as someone who got into Fish during the hiatus, I was very well versed in their classical period as well as the 97 reinvention. All I'd been doing was consuming tapes and live Fish shows. You know, the live Fish series had come out as I became a Fish fan. And kind of this continual theme of exuberant experimentation, 2.0 was not. And as a result, this was a bit challenging for listeners like myself, as well as I know a lot of older fans. Um, The thing that's wild, though, is sometime during summer 2001, everything changed. When it became clear that Fish wouldn't be immediately jumping back into the weirdness and the jams, This show became something of a cult classic as people started discovering this along with July 30th, 2003, a show we covered in episode 15, where people were really realizing, oh my God, there were shows where Fish literally came on stage and just jammed, and it's all people wanted to hear. Yeah, I actually didn't hear this show until 3.0. For some reason, I didn't hear it right after it had occurred. I know... um you know, they didn't get the instant downloads like you get nowadays. You had to try a bit harder. But looking back, I mean, this show, it 2.0 is very hard. You, uh, yeah. <laughs> you you look at the set list and you say, eh? And you look further at the song times and you say, okay. I mean, it was weirdly acceptable in 2.0 to close the first set with 40 minutes worth of simple and got a jabu, which... Right. <laughs> if they did that nowadays, people would be like, you know, singing Hallelujah to the Heavens. But 
So set one of this show begins with Rift into rock and roll. It's kind of a fa- fairly standard opening quarter. However, Rift was the first album that I bought, so it paired very well with this being my first live track that was a little bizarre, but kind of cool at the same time. Before Gaiuti, Driver, and Waves brought us to the final 40 minutes. Uh, there's kind of little to celebrate here. However, the Waves uh, serves as a really nice segue into Simple. I will say, though, I remember being a little disappointed by the lack of jamming in Waves out the gates. Uh, coming at the end of Round Room, this seemed like the no-brain choice for Jam Vehicle in early 2.0, and that it remained fairly contained through its first 10 versions was a bit perplexing, especially taking into account the stylistic choices of the era. Uh, I think that there have been some really great versions of Waves of late, and I've really come around to loving the uh, uh, really just like beautiful lead guitar from, from Trey during that segment. It sounds very Jerry-esque to me. Uh, but I was a little disappointed at the time. I remember Simple then came up next. One of my favorite songs, uh, the Great Went version on Bittersweet Motel was an early moment for me. Like the way that Trey's just like leaned over, holding the guitar up, just like staring out into space, playing that solo was one of my favorite things kind of early on in my fishdom, uh, my fish career, if you will. Uh, but this one goes into ambient darkness, which expertly clashes with the dance-heavy joy of the Jabu. And it's kind of comparable only to the 12997, 112998, 72199, 71211 from Super Bowl, 72215 from Bend, Oregon, and 9316 from Dick's versions, in that it just goes really dark. And I will say as well, there were eight simples played total in 2.0, and somehow I caught three of them. Hmm. This by far being the best. So. You got your second set begins with uh, a 20 minute plus tweezer, which is also kind of uh, the, the, uh, the table setter for the somewhat better, much um, lauded version for NASA Coliseum one week later. Uh, this is the really dark and dissonant side of tweezer, 20 minute beast. It's got some excellent leads from Trey, quite ominous. I know there's a part in this tweezer a little after 10 minutes where Trey's guitar sound like he's like repeatedly flushing a toilet. So it's dark. It's Fish 2.0. <laughs> I I don't think I I don't think I got a no, I didn't get a tweezer set to opener until my ninth show, which was six years later at Fenway. Mm. And I'm trying to remember when the next one came after that. I think it was quite some time. I haven't really caught a lot of Maybe it was the 12-28-2012 show. I don't know. But I haven't caught a lot of set two opening tweezers. It was pretty cool to get that in my first show. Uh, Punching the Eye and Fast Enough for You came next. Very nice old school break midway through the set. And then I would argue the best seven below ever follows. 22 minutes of type 1.5 jamming that expands on the song's theme. It's really playful and funky and exploratory. And it's got this outstanding interplay before between band members in yet another faux 1997 callback. Probably the best version that Pebbles and Marbles follows. And you're getting the idea this is a really 2.0 heavy show. And it's got a peaking jam that keeps going and going. And then there's a sort of an odd Golgi apparatus into anything but me into Tweez Reprise Encore. It kind of reflects what makes this uh, show unique and also somewhat maligned. In the months following, I mean, if I guess if you're gonna play like a round room ballad, I'll take anything but me over Friday, 
any yes. day of the week. No yes. pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I've really come around uh, to loving anything but me, and I wish that they would play it again. Um, I'm wondering thematically if there's ra- reasons for Trey not wanting to sing that at this point in his life, but I remember he played that. It's, it's kind of a downer. Yeah, they opened up the last night of Coventry, the last fish show ever, if you will, with Mike's Hydrogen Weekapog and then played Anything But Me right afterwards. And it was kind of that first moment where people looked around and were like, oh, shit, this is the last show. Um, I only, I think they've only played it like two or three times in, two, in uh, 3.0. Um, from a larger kind of tour standpoint, this was the fifth show of the Winter 2003 Tour the ninth since the band had returned from hiatus. Like much of the February run, history has been quite kind to it in the long run. Uh, the energy within the band, the excitement and the sounds and ideas they were toying with is really uncanny. While some will gripe about Trey's tone and the overall level of slop, when the band connected, as they do throughout this show and really the entire tour, it's a wholly unique experience and it was not replicated throughout their entire career. Um, I would argue that this is one of the best shows of 2.0. Thematically, it flows really well. There's gems everywhere that are delivered with precision. Um, And I would pose that these are the best shows of 2.0 along with 22803. 22803 from NASA. Massive, duh. Uh, 72303 from Deer Creek. You've got a really great sense opener, Sneak and Sally. Uh, 72903 from Star Lake. Perfect, perfect cross-eyed. What else we got, Dave? July 30th, 2003 from Camden, New Jersey. It had the huge half-hour Sense and Subtle songs, uh, Sense and Subtle sounds. And you had uh, the only time that uh, Fish ever played the Basement Tapes Jam, You Ain't Going Nowhere. I didn't see that show. I saw the next night, which was also very good. Not as good as the Friday show. And uh, going forward, August 2nd, 2003, of course, that's IT. It, one of the nights. June 19, 2004, from Saratoga Springs, P-I-P-E-R, huge piper. And the next night, June 20th, 2004, also from Saratoga, Big Four Sun, second set. That was uh, probably the best multi-show run of, uh, of, Fish, of Fish 2.0. Yeah. And on that note, we want to get you some Jaboo. Whenever I hear it played live, I scream out, Ganjagoo, Ganjagoo. And if I was uh, at this show, I would definitely have been yelling that out. So let's hear a little bit of uh, The God of Jaboo from February 20th, 2003 from um, Rosemont, Illinois. Thank you. 
If you're like me, things like music, running, and cooking all bring happiness and meaning. However, there are times where even the things you rely on for happiness are not enough to help you achieve your goals. The good news is, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp Online Counseling is a way for you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, and conveniently online environment. Schedule your own secure video or phone session, plus chat and text with your therapist at your own convenience. Everything you share is confidential, and licensed professional counselors are available with specializations in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem, among more. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and if you're not happy with your counselor at any time, you can request a new one at no additional charge. With over 3,000 licensed therapists, you can start communicating in under 24 hours with non-crisis counselors. Schedules can be set up weekly, over phone, or video, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. I've been using BetterHelp for the last few months, and I feel a strong sense of clarity, purpose, and understanding in speaking with my counselor. It's important to speak with a professional when you're feeling in need of communication and understanding. Beyond the Pond listeners get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp by using the discount code BTP. That's BTP. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash BTP. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash BTP. Are you boogieing? Are you dancing hard? Are you sweating? Do you feel that like just energy that comes from dancing without any sort of reservations? That's what this is all about. You know, we're just trying to bring the joy right now to you guys through some fish music. Segment one here, following that great jam, we are going to talk about the greatest dance party you ever had. You know, Dave and I may be uber critical, highbrow, musical fish baseball nerds, but we both like to get down from time to time. Oh, yeah. We've had many a moments where like music just like makes your body roll, makes your body move. And this jam is one of those. This is not really a thinking man's jam. And so we don't really want to play like thinking man's music in this segment. We want music that is just going to get everyone up off the floor. I'm going to talk about a song that has made me dance harder than probably any song in the history of the world. And brings back probably my favorite memory of dancing with people I love in a place I love. And that is LCD Sound Systems, all my friends, off of 2007's Sound of Silver. Mm. So everyone who's listening to this podcast is at least familiar with LCD Sound System. And if you're not, this selection will give you as quick an overview as if they're your thing as anything possibly could. To me, LCD Sound System is everything I think of when I think of the aughts. 
They're cool in a way that's both timeless and against the grain. They blend poppy noise with infectious rhythms with an almost archaic approach to music that feels wholly unnecessary and pure all at once. They also have and haven't aged particularly well in some ways that makes them feel outdated while also graspable from where we are. Like the music that they created and emulated, I imagine they will have a renaissance some 20 to 30 years on. This was the creation of New York City's DJ James Murphy. And the band rose out of prominence on the back of two outstanding singles. Losing My Edge in 2002 and Daft Punk is playing at my house. My house. My house in 2005. But it was 2007 Sound of Silver where the band's true greatness was revealed. An almost perfect record delineated their hip-hop global record connoisseur glam DIY sound in a 70 minutes of infectious rhythm and deft one-liners. I still remember the day it came out, hearing it on the rooftop of my apartment building, an unseasonably warm Montana day, beers in hand, the mountains glowing like a dream, and this record bouncing unsustainably from my portable speakers. The band lasted until 2011, when following the release of their fantastic grower of a third album, This Is Happening, called it quits with a performance at MSG. Six years went by before a reunion, the kind that was happening everywhere in 2017 for 2000s indie rockers, and they released the shock excellent American Dream, an outstanding and minimalist take on their larger Krautrock-influenced hip rock. It tapped into their Eno worship and was one of the great surprises of the year. Way better than I thought it was going to be. I had no expectations about this record, and I fell for it immediately. Yeah, I mean, James Murphy's a little bit of a... I don't know. I mean, when they played the show at MSG and they said it was the end and they had the big documentary about the breakup and you see him like crying with all the studio gear to come back six later to be like, oh, just kidding. I was yeah. uh, expecting to bring the knives out, but that's a great record. I love American Dream. It's a really, really good record. Um, <clears throat> so I picked all my friends off of 2007's uh, Sound of Silver. A song which follows uh, one of my favorite tracks of the decade, Someone Great. Uh, unbelievable song for, uh, from from James Murphy. But I picked all my friends because like this Jabu, it hits me in that indefinable place where joy is contagious and relentless. Without explanation or often insight, it is a freeing moment where you lose self-consciousness and the feeling of freedom is all that truly matters. I remember this song during my time in Korea in 2009 and 2010. I'd listened to it as often as I possibly could, and it became something of a mantra as I counted down the months, weeks, and days before I could see my family and friends again. I dreamed of late nights with my friends where I'd hear the song we'd all share in this communal celebration around life and the significance of friendship. When I got married on August 25th, 2012, I built a playlist for all aspects of the wedding. Before the wedding, as everyone was gathering, during, after, cocktail hour, dinner, and the party. The party playlist was six hours long and expertly curated. It's one of my greatest musical accomplishments of my entire life. I deliberately included all my friends at the 3 a.m. segment of the party. Of note, I got married at a ski resort just outside of Missoula, Montana. No one was bothering us. And when it came on, it was perfect. 
All of my best friends were still up and raging at that point, and we danced insanely hard that we nearly broke the porch we were partying on. It's a rich and joyful memory, one that will live with me forever, and always connect these two songs together. So with that, I'm going to try to figure out a way to edit all my friends down from seven minutes to around 30 seconds. Mm Just know, if you've never heard this song, throw some headphones on, listen to it. It is one of the best songs that has ever been written. And I say that without any sense of hyperbole. It is one of the best songs that has ever been written. Let's listen to a little bit of All My Friends off of LCD Sound Systems. Sound Okay, Brian, um, I love all my friends. That's a dance floor filler. There was definitely many uh, a wedding I attended in that era where that song was the last song of the night, for sure. So I'm going to talk about a similarly uh, ecstatic song, mainstream pop song, Cut to the Feeling by Carly Rae Jepsen. This was a one-off single from 2017 uh, that was allegedly left off her really, really good album from 2015, Emotion, because I guess they said it wasn't good enough. I don't know what that means. I mean, this is really kind of basically the most orgasmic mainstream pop song released in like the past, I don't know, 10 or so years. And Carla Rae Jepsen's a bit of an outlier amongst uh, like 2010's pop stars. She's Canadian. I mean, she's kind of seemingly more of like a Broadway nerd than anything else. And she seems, I don't know, kind of nice. I mean, she had like her NPR Tiny Desk concert. It was the bee's knees. It was really fun and kind of cute. Obviously, I mean, she's still best known for Call Me Maybe, which became a hit, I think, back in 2012 when Justin Bieber wrote for it. People kind of made a big deal of the fact that she was 26 when it was released because she would have been old enough to be like Justin Bieber's math teacher. But I think uh, (laughs) that's still a great little song. 
And she placed pretty high in Canadian Idol. So that just goes to show you kind of where she's coming from. She's bigger in, uh, I think she's much bigger in Japan than she is here. I know in the States, she usually plays kind of like the type of uh, 3,000 seat theaters that like higher end indie rock acts and labels like Matador and 4AD can usually fill out. But man, oh man, does this song bang. I mean, I think it ended up being used in a Canadian animated film called Ballerina in which Jepsen does a voice. But really, I dare you to sit still during this song. I mean, my family had a huge quarantine dance party last week, and my five-year-old saved her biggest moves for Cut to the Feeling. I mean, the <laughs> chorus is just mana sent from heaven, like, screaming. It's just, uh, it's impossible to listen to this song and not feel happy about life, even when people are quarantined, stuck inside during a pandemic. Lean stuff like Carly Rae Jepsen, and uh, she makes good records too. I mean, she's known for her singles, but uh, I think her last album, Dedicated, came out last year. It's pretty good. Still, uh, Emotion from 2015, and the B-Sides collection, I think, Eight Songs, which came out a year later, is also uh, very, very good. So, we ride for Carly Rae Jepsen and the Goldstein household hard. So let's listen to Touch of the Field. I had a dream, or was it real? We crossed the line and it was on. We crossed the line, it was on this time. I've been denying how I feel, you've been denying what you want. You want for me, talk to me, baby. I want some satisfaction, take me to the stars. Just like, oh. This is album recommendations it's really important that we keep showcasing new music because as we've been saying all along we have no idea how long this is all going to go for it is april 9th uh as we're recording this this episode's going to come out in about 12 days things could change we could all be getting ready to go back to work or we could still be in quarantine 
Who knows? I don't think we will be going back to work. But my point is, we have no idea what's going to happen, but there is still new music that's been released, that's being released, that we want to feature, because when everything hopefully goes back to normal, you're going to want to see some music with some bands that you have either just discovered or those that you love to help them get back on their feet again. One of those bands I would recommend you check out when they start touring again is Horse Lords, their record, The Common Task. This came out, I want to say, like early March, and I've been spinning it a ton since then and really wanted to feature it here. This is the fourth record from the Baltimore Avant Rock Band, and it's a stunning display of noise and ideas that shimmers with precision and experimental joy that proves to be one of the most infectious and wild rides of the year. If you haven't listened to Horse Lords, the, the common task is a great starting point as their experimental, Krautrockian, post-punk, Appalachian, and African styles all just kind of mesh together with equal parts clarity and obscurity. The band uses the just intonation tuning system. It's favored by avant-garde composers Lamont Young and James Tenney. So the musicians actually are playing hand-modified guitars with repositioned frets, retuned and customized by their band by band member owen gartner it's a really wild approach and absolutely just like spins your mind in a million directions when you're listening to it um, i'm reminded a bit of some watchers 2019 record illegal moves when i listen to the common task although not as kind of wild and uh, frenetic this is a little bit more precise and direct in terms of their experimentation but the sounds here are equal parts familiar and wildly new and unyielding. Minimalism and shivering excitement lead the way through the record, and the common task forces listeners to focus on singular moments in repetitive manners before being ushered into a new swirl of noise and ideas. It's equally jarring and meditative all at once. Much of this is all due to the influence on the record being the band members' experience with psychedelics, and at times, one can feel as though they're sharing in this experiment with the band themselves. Rhythmically, the band structures themselves constantly on the precipice, and it's in this moment of unified failure that the magic is found. The goal is hypnosis, but overall, they're still playing as a group of guys, humans, incapable of perfection. The album title, The Common Task, and the song title, The People's Park, is a nod to Chicago socialist organization Young Lords. This is showcasing the radical nature of horse lords, and it's a hat tip to the focus we should all have on this in this collective time of abject capitalistic and systematic failure around us. I highly, highly recommend Horse Lords, The Common Task. It's a fantastic record that is going to really kind of shake you of your senses during this crazy period. Dave, what do you got for us? I've got a recent album by a female duo called Tan Cologne, and the album is called K-Vault on the Moon in New Mexico. So this is a duo comprised of Lauren Green and Marissa Macias, and they're located in Taos, New Mexico. I can't really name any other bands in New Mexico, and I'm thinking about it. Um <laughs> Lauren Green was also the front woman. Um, she was the front woman for the mid uh, the mid twenty tens psych garage rockers called Mirror Travel, who sort of sound like a grungier dry run for Tan Cologne. I think uh, 
whom fans of the band Moon Duo would really dig. And I think um, from what I've been reading, Macias comes more from the world of art and graphic design, but I think she played electric guitar on this album. The duo did play all of the instruments on this album. And when they first met together in Taos, New Mexico, they formed a multimedia collaboration called Psychic Sync, and that uh, blossomed into a working relationship with music, rife with uh, what Lauren Green called, quote, tons of amps and guitar pedals in a circle, playing for hours and making some trippy experimental soundscapes and stuff like that. Sign me up. So with this album, it's quite languid, psychedelic dream pop that's evocative of uh, kind of like a gothic American Southwest. If you remember uh, the California band Bright, Bat, Bright Black Morning Light, which put out two great albums, I think they broke up, kind of sounds like them. This is a very blissed out, very vibey album that sort of sounds more than a little like the last record I talked about in this column uh, being Bacon Gardens Under the Bloom. I've been in a real blissed out shoegaze dream pop mode lately because it's what I've absolutely needed. What can I say? I like what I like. And this is a very well produced, dusty album that's in every way a vibe. I guess it's almost like a more psychedelic, less mainstream version of... Uh, like, um, I guess, Mazzy Star almost. I mean, this is kind of what I've been into lately. It helps clear my mind of whatever has been going on around me, with my children screaming and just being exhausted. So definitely check out Cave Vaults on the Moon in New Mexico by Tan Cologne. All right. So when we were planning out this episode, we were kind of like, do we just do infectious joy and dance vibes for two segments we could probably come up with that stuff it's always a good reason to play some robin right Mm. but we figured our last episode covered a lot of bliss it was probably important to do something here that uh was a little bit different and we took the low-hanging fruit approach and we're talking here about chicago blues we don't talk enough about chicago blues here You guys don't talk enough about Chicago blues. Not enough people talk about Chicago blues enough. It's kind of one of those genres of music that feels like the further and further we get from the early stages of classic rock, these types of artists that came from Chicago and other urban areas in the post-Civil War, Reconstruction era, pre-Civil Rights movement are kind of being forgotten about. And there's some great, great music and... It's shocking that Fish didn't play Funky Bitch, written by Sun Seals of the South Side of Chicago, at the Allstate show on uh, February 20th, 2003. Wouldn't have fit that show whatsoever, but it's kind of crazy that he didn't. But we're not going to talk about Sun Seals. We want to talk about two other Chicago blues artists to give you guys a little bit of an overview of the historic music that came out of that city when it comes to the blues. First up, I'm going to talk about Big Walter Horton. The song I'm going to play is called The Honey Dripper off of 1989's Can't Keep Loving You. So Big Walter Horton was a legendary blues harmonica player. He was born in Memphis in 1917 or 18 or possibly 1921. And he began playing the harmonica by the age of five. He spent much of his career surviving on the poverty line, experiencing abject racism that was the norm of the time for much of his life. 
At one point, he stopped playing music in the 1940s due to health issues and then relocated to Chicago, where he spent the 1950s dominating the burgeoning blues scene. Of note, he was one of the first artists to be recorded by Sam Phillips at the legendary Sun Recording Studios in Memphis, and he also played one session with Muddy Waters when they were in need of a replacement harp player. Horton was known as Mumbles and Shaky because of the motion of his head while playing the harp. He toured extensively throughout the 70s as a backing musician while also performing on recordings for Fleetwood Mac and Johnny Winter. Ultimately, he made his living in the city that he loved, playing blues festivals throughout Chicago, and even performed in the Blues Brothers movie. He ultimately died in 1980 at the age of 60 of heart failure. So I guess he was born in 1920. Uh, <laughs> it's His Wikipedia page uh, is across the board, and uh, essentially the... Uh, the, the idea is that he had no idea what year he was born in. But the record in question that we're talking about here, Can't Keep Loving You, was released in 1989 and is understood to have been recorded in the mid-70s. The Honey Dripper is one of two instrumental tracks on the record that showcases the fullness of his abilities. It's infectious and grooves and salt of the earth as it gets. Let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of the Honey Dripper off of Big Walter Horton's Can't Keep Loving Me. Okay, Brian, thank you for playing that. So now the Chicago blues artist I'm going to discuss is Elmore James. The song we're going to play is kind of his signature song called Dust My Broom. So he was known as the king of the slide guitar. I might even say that on his tombstone, actually. And unlike many Chicago bluesmen, he was best known for playing on a modified hollow body acoustic guitar fitted with pickups. I think his uh, day job, he was an electrician or worked in such a factory that he had uh, the means to put the technology together. And um, his unique slide style can be heard on uh, this song, Dust My Broom, which also 
led to the name of his crack backing band, the Brune Dusters. He was uh, born in Mississippi in 1918. I think he was already playing juke joints by the tender age of 14 and would eventually join up and cross paths with such luminaries as Howlin' Wolf, Robert Johnson, and Sonny Boy Williamson. He had his initial career was cut short by the Second World War because he found himself stationed with the Navy in Guam for, I think, three years. By the early 1950s, he had moved to Chicago. He had assembled the Broom Dusters, and I think by the mid-50s, he was really established as one of the most popular acts on the Chicago blues scene, and he kind of gets credited with bridging the sound of the Mississippi Delta with that of electric Chicago blues. Unfortunately, uh, he had a heart condition that he was aware of, and it only resulted in, resulted in only living to age 45 when he had a final heart attack and he died in 1963. And uh, most of his work can be found, um, there's many, many, many compilations. And of the multitude, I think the one I generally find myself gravitating to the most is a collection of recordings he made for the Fire label from 1959 to 1961 entitled Shake Your Moneymaker, The Best of the Fire Sessions. That's uh, the record from which this version of Dust Your Broom comes. I think it was released around 2001. It showcases both his slide work and his booming elastic voice in excellent form. And uh, of the myriad bands that were really directly influenced by Elmore James, probably the blisters of this podcast, the Allman Brothers, are the most notable. I mean, because the Almonds they cover both Done Somebody Wrong and One Way Out, both of which are credited as as Elmore James songs, and Dwayne Allman's slide riffage is often indistinguishable from that of Elmore James. Also, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of popularized the song The Sky is Crying, and The Grateful Dead sort of kind of covered Rolling and Tumbling on their final tour. If nothing else, Elmore James is a central Chicago blues, legendary slide player. Let's listen to a bit of Dust My Broom.
Thanks, everyone, for hanging with us here. Episode 95, Chicago Jaboo. Thanks for letting me wax nostalgically about both my wedding as well as my first fish show. These are happy memories that I like talking about. I can't believe it took us 95 episodes to cover a, a jam for my first my first uh, fish show. But, hey, it's what happens. There's a lot of good music out there. So, quick overview of the songs that we played in this episode. In segment one, the greatest dance party you ever had. I played LCD Sound Systems, All My Friends, off of 2007 Sound of Silver. Dave went ahead and played Carly Rae Jepsen's Cut to the Feeling. I want to cut to the feeling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Don't be. Don't be. Just keep, mm. keep going. Your falsetto is uh, tracked and recorded on multiple of these episodes. Mm, I know. In uh, new album recommendations, I played Horse Lords, The Common Task. Dave talked about Tank Lone Cave Vaults on the Moon in New Mexico. And in segment two, where we just doubled down and went to Sweet Home Chicago to talk about the blues, I played Big Walter Horton's The Honey Dripper off of Can't Keep Loving You. And Dave played Elmore James' Dust My Broom. Just a reminder, you can always find us on social media. We're on Twitter at, at underscore Beyond the Pond. Spotify, we have the Beyond the Pond Master Song Playlist. Every time we release a new episode, to the extent that they're available on Spotify, we uh, put the songs in our big Spotify playlist, which is well over 500 songs. Of course, we'd always remind you, if you like the songs that you hear on Beyond the Pond, please go to Bandcamp, find these artists, purchase their music, they need it now more than ever. Spotify is not enough. You need to actually purchase some sort of physical or digital media. So you can find Beyond the Pond and all the other fantastic podcasts on the Osiris Network from Osiris Media, which you can be found at osirispod.com. And please leave us an iTunes review because we like reading them and it increases our visibility in Apple Land, which is a good thing. Absolutely. And from a publishing structure standpoint, I think you guys are in the groove of what we're doing during quarantine. We're doing a live show Sunday nights where we just kind of riff, talk about uh, music, talk about a fish show. Sometimes we do a live tweet session afterwards so that you guys can take in the video and hear our adorable commentary. But we're releasing episodes every other Tuesday. Uh, I believe I have to check the schedule here. I believe that we've got an episode coming out next week. And then we're doing a really cool deep dive into a single band. We've done this three times before. We're going to do it with a good friend of ours, friend of the pod. Look forward to that. And then we've got a really great Fish Jam episode coming out here in late May. Before we start to move into a overview of our favorite records of the year thus far. And then we celebrate 100 episodes of Beyond the Pond. There have been more, but 100 episodes of Beyond the Pond. Really looking forward to that. 100 official recorded numbered episodes. There's been some bonus episodes. There's been yes. some live episodes. So we hope that you have enjoyed this dive into both the Jaboo 
from Chicago and Chicago blues from Chicago and orgasmic pop music. We're really trying to help you as much as we can during this quarantine. I know I've had a way less time to listen to podcasts than I used to because I don't have to commute anywhere anymore. So if you got this far, we very much appreciate it and we will keep churning these out and making them good. So please come by in two weeks. We'll hold hands, we will say kumbaya, and we'll go beyond the pond. Beyond the Pond podcast is part of Osiris Media and is co-hosted by David Goldstein and Brian Brinkman and it is edited by Brian Brinkman.